We are beginning our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm really excited about it. I love this book. It is full of godly truth, of course, but also it just has so much to say to who we are uh, as, as believers. Or if you're not a believer, it has a lot to say to you as well. And so I'm really excited to begin this study. We'll make our way through the whole book. I don't know how long it'll take, but we will work our way through it. But to begin, let me tell you a, a short story. When I was in the 11th grade, one of the, probably a real low moment for me in terms of being a student. I went to public high school. I was less than good. Let's just say that. I was not awesome. And so I remember one day going to Miss Humphrey's chemistry class and realizing, man, I have Spanish homework to do. And for whatever reason, I was really stressed out about getting this done for later in that day. And I thought, okay, well, I'm in chemistry. Chemistry is not important to like daily life. And so apparently Spanish is for me, which it uh, was not because I know nothing. I wish I did, but I, but I don't. And so whatever was happening in my 11th grade mind, I said, hey, Ms. Humphreys, can I go to my locker real quick? I need to get my Spanish homework so I can get it done. She's like, what are you talking about? You're not going to do your homework in my class. Thank you for being honest with me. The answer is no. Well, what? I don't know what happened, but the next thing you know, I walked out of class when she wasn't looking and went to my locker. And when I got back to her room, she was standing there waiting for me. And again, in my 11th grade mind, I don't really know what I was expecting in the first place, but she was very mad, very mad. And she said, what do you think you're doing? And I responded with something like, I need to get my Spanish homework done. I don't even know what was happening. So she says, go to the principal's office right now. So I go down to the principal's office. Um, and so Miss Humphreys calls him and prepares him to meet me. Do you want to know my principal's name? His name is Daryl Humphreys. <laughs> so I get down to the principal's office and Daryl looks at me and he says, Tyler, what have you done? I have to go home to her this evening. And so that means it's going to be very bad for you. <laughs> And so I got after school detention for just wanting to be a good student. I had to stay after with all the kids that we like assume sell drugs and steal cars, things like that. I was amongst them for, for, the, for a day. But the, the point of that is, is that there are moments in our life when we all need correction. When, when we do something that's wrong and someone needs to correct your behavior. You, you know what's right, but you've done the opposite of that. Well, Really, the book of 1 Corinthians is a lot like that. What the Apostle Paul is doing is he's addressing this church, these people who claim to be followers and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they have lived their lives in such a way that says, nah, that's not really what we believe, or nah, that's not the way we're going to act. And so what Paul does is he sends them a letter to correct them. The book of Acts in chapter 18 tells us that Paul was in Corinth with these believers for almost 18 months when this church was beginning. And so he knows them. He was with them in the beginning when the gospel was being preached and when believers were trusting in the Lord. And so now he's like, hey, y'all, I, I was there when this thing started, and now I'm hearing all of these reports of this stuff happening, and I'm just going to need to write you a quick letter to let you know what's right and what's wrong. And so that's what this book is really about in, in large part is Paul writing to them to correct their behavior, but he does it in 
the best possible way. He doesn't just want them to be good people to be good people. He wants them to know what it is to truly follow the Lord that they claim. So let's look at 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look tonight at verses 1 through 17 in chapter 1. So Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So a quick note on that. We don't really know who that guy is per se, but apparently he's with Paul, and Paul wants them to know, hey, Sosthenes is here. So apparently the church in Corinth, they know this dude named Sosthenes. Don't name your children that when you have them someday. Verse 2, to the church of God, if anyone has the name Sosthenes in here, it's actually really cool. I'm just joking. But don't name your children that. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, who's Chloe and who's the people she has? She's like a boss. That there is quarreling among you, my brothers. It's like, hey, uh, Chloe's people, let me know. It's like, oh, not Chloe. Verse 12, if you have a child and it's a female, name her Chloe because she's obviously a boss. Verse 12, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas, which is Peter the apostle, or I follow Christ. Verse 13, Paul says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. <laughs> for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now listen to this. So verse 17 is just kind of a... a, a passage or a verse that we could just kind of go over real quick, but there is so much grace wrapped up in verse 17. And let me just read it and I'll explain. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Listen, what I want you to understand about the gospel before we even begin what we're about to do is that the gospel is simple. It doesn't have to be all glammed up. We don't have to have the lights dimmed down. We don't have to have low music playing. We don't have to have you come and stand here and cry or weep. Now, all of those things can certainly have their place. But what Paul is saying is the power of God to save is the power of God to save. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have a good preacher preaching the gospel to you. Thank goodness for you. God's power in saving you is this that he loves you, and that he asks you to confess your sin to him. And if you will do that, he will save you. You don't need eloquent words. You don't need the best youth group. You only need God's grace. That's the power of the gospel, is that it's the power of God. 
Let me pray, and then I'll have two things, and I'll tell you what they are. Oh, Father God, be with us this evening. I pray as we begin this book and as we make our way through it, that you would, Lord, not only expand our understandings in our mind of who you are, but that you would, Lord, well up the affections of our heart for you, that you would turn us from ourselves to you, that we would serve you better, that we would love you with greater richness than we do today, and that in all things you would be honored and glorified in us as we study and apply this book to our lives. We pray for those here amongst us that are not yet believers that you, by your power alone, would call them to be your children. And Father, that you would even do it tonight, on a rainy night like this, a just normal night in January, that it would be your pleasure to save someone in this room. We pray all of this for your glory. and It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So two things tonight. The first one is this. Our faith should create a spirit of humility in us. So our faith should create a spirit of humility in us. So as Paul begins this letter, essentially what he's doing is he's saying, hey, uh, in case we've forgotten, I know that you and I, we've hung out before, but in case we've forgotten, here's who we are. My name is Paul, and I am an apostle called by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, in case you don't know who you are, you are the church in Corinth, those who have been sanctified and called to be together. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's because what Paul is doing at the very beginning of this book where he's going to talk about really difficult things and address ways in which they're sinning and falling short of their faith is he's reminding them, you and I, we are only who we are because we have been called to that by God. Do you want to know what an apostle is? Those that he actually called to be an apostle. And so at the beginning, Paul's saying, hey, in case you guys, because obviously you're fighting about who's the best in this church, I just want you to know that I'm nothing outside of God calling me to be an apostle. I'm not an apostle because I'm awesome. I'm not an apostle because I was the best Jew at one time. I'm not an apostle because on the road to Damascus, I have this crazy testimony, right? Could you imagine standing up in a room and like we're in youth and we're like, hey, we're all going to share our testimony tonight. And you're like, man, I've been a Christian since I was like five I just have a pretty decent family. And then the kid gets up beside you and he's like, yeah, I used to be a murderer. (laughs) You're just like, okay. He just wants to relieve them of any pressure either towards him or towards themselves that there's anything that they have that makes them worthy of this thing. He's reminding them of the humility that we have when we come to know Jesus. We are the people who we are because we have been called by God to be those people, right? He has brought us to himself. We have not walked or worked our way to Jesus in any way. The reminder that Paul is giving them, again, and just remember, (laughs) like you have to remember, if you've never read through this book, I'm excited for you to get to see some of the things we're going to talk about because you would not expect him to begin this book like this. You would expect him to say, hey, you guys, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. What are you doing? Have you guys lost your mind? Right? That's, that's kind of the way we would expect him to start this book out, but he doesn't. He starts it out by reminding them who they are in Christ because he wants them to know who they are in Christ as opposed to who they used to be. Right? The reminder is you're not the same person that you were before you met Jesus and had a relationship with him. That's not the person you are. It's not the way you act, but the reality is, is sometimes we do try to act like the person we used to be before we became a believer. In fact, that's the whole reason for Paul writing this letter is because the church in Corinth, 
they're acting like they used to act before they met Jesus. And so Paul's whole purpose here is to call them back to what it means to be holy, to be set apart, to be those who are called out of the world and called into the church. Right? Paul says in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified simply means by Jesus we have been set apart. Right? Here's the world. We've been plucked out of the world, and we have been set apart to be something different than the world. To those sanctified, but then he goes on in verse 2 to say, called to be saints together. You have been called out of this world with one another into this place called the church. So what Paul is doing is he's laying the foundation for our faith. I've said it a thousand times, we're not who we are because of what we've done. We're not who we are. That is, if you're a believer, you're not a believer because of what you've been able to understand. That's kind of Paul's whole point in verse 17. The gospel is just really simple. You're a sinner. You need a savior. Trust in Jesus. You're not judged on your ability to be able to grasp the deep theological things in the book of Ephesians or to understand all of the book of Revelation. It's a simple message. And you're not who you are based on what kind of church you go to. We're believers because God has called us to be believers. That's what Paul is saying. You are who you are. I am who I am simply because that's who God has called me to be. Simply because that's who God has called you to be. So that's really the source of their humility here. He's reminding them, your salvation, it's a gift. Your knowledge, your understanding of the gospel, it's a gift. Your eternity, your future in heaven, it's a gift. You have earned these things in no way. They have been given to you freely. Now, why is that going to be important in a book like this? Because if they've been given, then they can't be taken away, not by you. And the best news of all of that is that God promises that what he has given us is surely ours because of what his son Jesus has done on the cross. And so at the very beginning, as they're getting ready to hear really, really difficult things, as we're going to be confronted with really difficult things, I think, as we go through this book, the reminder is, is if you have placed your hope in Christ, then no matter what sin you are living in, if you truly have trusted in him, yes, he may confront you, he may discipline you, but he will in no way lose you. And you will not run away from the Lord. I promise you. You can try. You can try to run away from the Lord, but you will not outrun him. All right, so point two is, is this. Our faith should create a desire within us for unity. So our faith should create a desire within us for unity. In verse 10, uh, let me reread it here. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So here in verse 10, Paul is setting out his desire for this church in Corinth, and by extension, every church that will ever read this, every believer that will ever read this, who gathers with other believers, he wants them to be united in how they think and how they live. So in chapter 2, he's going to end up mentioning at the very end of chapter 2 in verse 16, he says this little phrase, but we have the mind of Christ. So what Paul is saying at the very beginning is, hey, church, believers, I want you to live and I want you to think like Jesus would live and Jesus would think. Now, what he's saying is you don't have to agree about every single thing. There are some things where we're just not going to agree. So for instance, I don't want to like blow your mind or mess you up, but some people, they baptize babies. and our church, we baptize 
believers, those who have grown up and confessed faith. Now, that's not necessarily what Paul is talking about. What Paul is talking about are matters that revolve around the gospel. Paul is saying you should live your life and conduct your life in a way that honors the Lord. Things that are sin, you must call sin, and you must not stand for those things. Things that are holy, you must put those on and pursue those with reckless abandon in your life. And that's the thing that's supposed to unite us. He's saying as it relates to the gospel, be of one mind. Have one way of thinking and reasoning. And again, the reason that this is so important is back to what he said in verse 2. Right? These are people, these, these people in this church are believers who have placed their faith in Jesus. And not only that, they've been called to live together. So we're not just talking about getting saved and you're good to go. We're talking about the next step of your salvation is to join hands with brothers and sisters in Christ, to live out your faith in a community. Paul right here is clearly saying, since he's addressing these divisions or these arguments that are happening in the church, clearly one part of the Christian life is living with other believers together in a church. Now, why is that important? Well, it's because being together makes us more like Jesus. Being together makes you more like Jesus. Now, tonight, you have come to this place. We have had some pizza, which I promised you we would never have again. I lied. We had pizza again. I just love for you to have pizza. It's the most youth pastor thing I do. I'm maybe, am I a typical youth pastor? Not really, because I'm not that fun. I feel like most youth pastors are really fun, and I'm really not. But the pizza thing, I feel like my jeans are probably not tight enough. My shoes are too comfortable, (laughs) right? What I'm saying is, you know, we come into this place and we do these insignificant like things, right? We're eating the pizza, we're hanging out, we're, we're coming and playing a game. And then maybe even to you, this is kind of an insignificant moment as well. This is the thing we do. We come, we sit, we listen to you preach out of the Bible. You say some things, you promise us that it's easy to understand, blah, 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 blah. All the stuff that happens. And so there's a temptation to think, well, this is, this is all really insignificant. I'm a believer and this is just a part of what it means to be a believer. Well, what Paul seems to be indicating is that actually the church is not just what a believer does. It's a way in which a believer grows. It's it's a way that a believer becomes more like Jesus by being around other people who are becoming more like Jesus. And so it's kind of that idea of iron sharpening iron. You come here and you hear and you see and you talk and you worship and you listen. And then we'll go into small groups and we'll talk more about this sermon in particular. And what happens is we all come to this place, and as time passes, we keep saying and we keep hearing that the gospel is the center of our life. The gospel is the thing that informs everything in our life. The gospel is the one truth that illuminates all of life, the way we think, the way we reason, the way we believe. And as that happens over and over and over and over again, in those seemingly insignificant moments, is that someday you look back five years and you realize how much God has grown you in this place because you've been here together. You've been centering your life and being reminded of the gospel that saved you in the first place. And so what I want you to understand, and this is exactly opposite to what the world would have you believe, but your minds, your minds don't enlighten your understanding of Jesus. The things you believe, the things that you're told, you don't bring those things in here and understand Jesus better. We come here and we hear from Jesus and Jesus and God's word. That's the thing that enlightens our mind. 
What we believe about the world does not project truth or falsehood on Jesus. God's word is the only thing that can do that. And we come in here week after week and we sit under God's word and we let it change who we are. And it ends up shaping the way we understand the world and our place in this world. But what it also does is it protects us become, from becoming divided. That was Paul's major concern here in verses 10 through 17, is that this church, for some reason, even though they claimed to love Jesus and follow Jesus, they started fighting. They started bringing their own beliefs into these certain things, and they started living in all kinds of different ways. The next thing you know, they're like, hey, you know, my favorite pastor is Paul. And this dude's like, nah, Peter's way better. Well, that's a really big deal. It may not seem like it. Now, let's bring it like a little bit closer to home. Maybe you're in this place and you're thinking, man, I've heard this guy, me, I'm the guy, this guy. I've heard him talk about things like, like gender and sexuality and homosexuality. And I love this youth group, but I just don't agree with this guy. I don't agree with the things that he's saying out of the Bible about that stuff. And in fact, what does it really matter? I love Jesus. Do you want to know why it matters? Because it was a big deal when this church simply had a favorite pastor, when they were divided over something as simple as having a favorite. The reason that is, and Peter, actually one of these favorite pastors here, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he talks about Satan being like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Y'all, I mean, you've heard the illustration, I'm sure. You know how lions like hunt, right? What do they do? They run into a pack of wildebeests and do what? Scatter them. No, they don't just go in and jump. They go in and scatter and they divide and they divide and they divide until there's just one and then they devour. The reason why we're to have the mind of Christ together is because together we have a source of protection against Satan and his ploys to destroy us. And so, in fact, the things that you do believe are actually really, really, really important. Because this place is not just a place where we come once a week. It's a place that God has given us to grow us, not only closer to Him, but closer to one another. So one of the things I want you to see as we end is that we, we really should take a lot of comfort in seeing how Paul is going to deal with these believers. Because again, they do some really dumb stuff. I mean, we're going to read through this and you're going to be like, I don't even know if they're believers. But Paul seems to indicate that they're believers. He's pretty sure that because God has saved them, they're saved. They just need correction and they need to be trained up. And if you looked at your life and I looked at my life, we would have moments where we're like, eh, don't want anyone to know that, <laughs> right? Like even things maybe you've thought about your parents in your head. It's like, do you really want to fight your mom? Like you really, you want to, you really want to punch her, <laughs> right? right? Like you don't want people to know that. Like certainly don't tell your mom, right? But we have things in us that are not godly. And the encouragement as we will go through this book is seeing that the way Paul deals with them because he kindly, kindly and graciously, yet boldly standing upon the truth of the word, addresses the ways that they aren't living up to the faith that they claim. And while he does this, he encourages them and he assures them that the faith that they claim is a faith that has been gifted to them. It's not a faith they have won, which means it's not a faith that they can lose. But it is a faith that they are called to live in and to grow in. And so for Paul, failure is actually just a normal part of growing in the Christian life. It's not desirable. Now, I don't want you to walk out and think, hey, you guys need to go fail a few times so you can grow in your faith. That's not what I want for you. But the reality is, is that's what will happen. It will happen in your life. Maybe this evening, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe when you're 32 like me. 
It's not the desirable means, but it is a part of the Christian life, is failing and allowing God's word to correct you and grow you in your faith. And so I want to leave you with this question. What will you do when God's word confronts you? So maybe even tonight, something I said has rubbed you a little bit wrong, or maybe something we will say in these 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians will stretch you, it will challenge you. What will you do when God's word confronts you? There are really two things you can do. Number one, you can double down and get angry, or number two, you can humble yourself and grow. That's the whole point of Paul's introduction here. Number one, understand who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, it is because God in his grace has saved you. That's humility. This is not what you have done. It's what God has done for you. But number two, live in that humility and desire to grow. Accept instruction and correction when it comes to you and change the way that you're living. Paul teaches us that true believers will desire the second option, that they will humble themselves and they will grow. Not necessarily always immediately, but ultimately Paul tells us that believers are known by their humility and by their desire for holiness, by their desire for him, by their desire to follow the Lord, that they claim who saved them.